Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zwei Group team looks forward to welcoming you. You're listening to a special edition Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting guru Mark Zweig and his team of experts straight talk in your ear. Mark has more than 30 years of experience helping AEP and environmental firms thrive, and these podcasts deliver his invaluable management, industry, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter and the Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop professionally wherever you are. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining Zweig Group Media and the Zweig Letter exclusive interview series. With 25 years of continuous coverage of the design industry, the Zweig Letter is a consistent source of valuable information in an ever-changing marketplace. We are bringing you some of the best and brightest minds that our industry has to offer. Today, I am pleased to welcome Stale Fredland Husby, co-founder and CEO of Relink, a VC-backed technology startup transforming how people identify their next job or employee base, based in Copenhagen, Denmark. Stale, it's great to have you join us on this Wide Letter interview series. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about Relink? Yeah, sure. So first, first and foremost, uh, thank you so much for having me on the on this podcast. Yeah, no, um, no problem. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to join you guys. Um, yeah, so so really, uh, as you said, I mean, we're trying to kind of um, be a part of changing how uh, people are matched with jobs and, and how people potentially also find find their next jobs. And uh, we're we're a small team uh, of data scientists, engineers, and and serial entrepreneurs based out of Copenhagen, um, and um, in short, what we're trying to do is is basically to apply you know machine learning models, machine learning technology to to help recruiters better understand you know of, out of a pile of of applicants or potential profiles who is who is the better fit for the job and and also why. Okay. Uh, so so it's it's basically a process of of uh, yeah, trying to kind of spend less time on on, on the on the issues uh, and the tasks that that machines are maybe as as capable of doing or a bit more more capable of doing, and and more time on, on the stuff that you know we still are best at as as human beings, talking to people and evaluating people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so essentially, you're not um, you're not moving to, for the removal of recruiters at all. What you're what you're what you're moving towards is a better use of our time and, and an efficiency from a recruiting perspective. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, I think it was Harvey Nash that, that, you know, a few months back launched uh, their, their new, new research. And I think one of the numbers, and, and please, uh, please uh, excuse me if I'm, if I'm remembering the numbers incorrectly, but I think 40% of, of the respondents said that they thought that uh, 
their job would be fully automated within 10 years. Right, right. And I think, I think, I think what that kind of reflects is, 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 a, is, a, is, a, is a kind of a, some level of, of fair threat from, from you know, uh, machine learning uh, technology. Right. Uh, our, our perspective on that is, you know, regardless of industry, you still, we still have, we still haven't seen one job uh, being totally replaced by machines. Right. Uh, so I think what we what we believe is that there's a lot of elements of uh, any job, also recruiter's job, that kind of entails a lot of manual work, processing of data, and and that that kind of that is better done by by by, by machines. And and at the end of the end of that process, it basically means that you you probably will be able to spend more time talking to people. You know, doing the Initially, the kind of the, the the latest part of the recruitment, rather than, well, to put it on, at its point, reading reading PDFs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's you know, as a recruiter, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm um, a director director of recruiting here at Zwei Group, and from my perspective as a as a recruiter, the thing that I enjoy most is actually talking to people. Um, the research is great, and that's part and parcel of what we do, and that's an an extremely important part. But if I could just get to a, a place where I can actually talk to real people and know that a I'm not just talking to anyone, but I'm talking to the right people for the right opportunity, it makes it it makes it an even better situation. I mean, I would I would that's 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 a goal I think most recruiters have. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right, and um, you know if if and I think. Regardless of how competent you are within your domain, I think just as just by being a human being, there are limits to kind of the conceptual understanding we can have, and 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 and, and I think if you look at the to kind of the average time you spend on, on on reading a CV and trying to make a decision if somebody is you know in or out or shortlist or longlist, it's like thirty five to fifty five seconds, and and basically what you're doing cognitively is we're trying to kind of identify keywords that you know is or think is relevant to the position you, you have open right uh, and and that and, and those 55 seconds they add up to a lot of time if you hire a thousand people a year yeah? and i think um you should be spending more of that time you know in interviews you know do, doing that job instead of instead of reading those cvs yeah no That's- you're absolutely right um and that goes without saying and i think um it's going to be interesting too i think cvs are going to take on a different form in the next few years. And I'm I'm interested to see, I know there's been a move towards people creating videos for themselves. I mean, there's people consume information in a lot of different ways than just sitting around and reading a stack of papers. Um, And and even in some jobs, uh, people are rewarded for their creativity in the way that they present themselves to their potential employers. So it'll be interesting to see what a CV actually looks like in the next three to five years. So, yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're right. I think, yeah. I think uh, from our perspective, I think you're, we're moving towards you know more like a conversational design. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how you kind of interact, you know, as a company with with a huge group of potential employees, and and also as 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 a potential employees with potentially a huge group of companies. And, right. And and I, to some perspective, I think you know a kind of constant inflow of conversational. Driven data is, is probably also a better grounds for actually, you know, making a qualified decision right. Uh, right. on the than than a structured CV because there's no job seekers that are experts on writing CVs. That's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, 
or to highlight and what's that what's the most important thing so it's, it has as, as a document it has major limitations from from our, from our perspective so yeah. I, I think you're yeah, it does. It does. Well, listen, you know, I, was, I had a chance to kind of peruse uh, your website and, and, and there was something I was really taken by. You mentioned uh, on your website the following quote, and I, I'm, I'd be curious to get your, your thoughts about this. But you said, just like Netflix recommends movies based on the user's preferences, our technology, speaking of Relink, re- recommends people to jobs and jobs to people. We deliver this technology as a service. And, you know, I'm just curious as to what you see technology wise in the recruiting space in the next three to five years. Yeah. Um, It's a big question. (laughs) It is. I know. I know. I know. No. And it's a super interesting question. I think I think, um, you know, we've. Obviously, we work within you know the machine learning space, and, and obviously it's it's also natural for for us to focus a lot on kind of the potential of you know replacing or strength strengthening some of the existing processes with with kind of machine learning capabilities. Um, what I what I believe, I think we're at like an inflection curve. Yeah, I think we're we're at a point now where recruiters not only kind of accept but really kind of start to kind of actively take a part in this in this change and, and actively kind of embrace the potential. Yeah. Um, I think we will see a lot of stuff happening. You know, it's like if, if you look at kind of the initial part of recruitment, uh, there's so much exciting things. I mean, there's this MIT spin out that now does, you know, um, micro expression, automated micro expression recognition, you know, as a layer on top of video interviewing to kind of try to kind of detect, okay, so how does, you know, a candidate, you know, and, basically react to, to different types of questions and, and use that for some kind of cultural fit analysis. Um, I think kind of in, in general, I think what we will see is that uh, recruiters will be fueled with a lot of great tools that enable them to better understand, you know, without the biased part of, of decision-making, better understand kind of the, the core relevance and applicable uh, the core relevance and, and what is applicable of a person's background and knowledge and, and personality into a position. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that works around kind of how you harvest data from profiles. So how do you, we talked about conversational design. I think you will be in a position where you can interview thousands of people at once without really, you know, like, and, and having a machine do that, right? Uh, trained on answering the right questions for the right type of profiles and following up and then somewhere in that line, you can step in as a human being when you've kind of gotten to a place where it's it's flying and, and it's ready and it's relevant, basically. So what I, I think we'll see that machines will do a lot of the hard lifting, the heavy lifting. Uh, and then I think we'll still, you know, we, we still have machines don't have, you know, consciousness the same way, same way we do. Yeah? Right. So, so right. at the end of the day, it's like people hiring people and it will still, will still be people hiring people, I think. Uh, but we'll see a lot of the manual, you know, repetitive tasks replaced, I think, by by technology. Yeah. I, and I think that's one of the fears that some people have is that people will totally be replaced in the equation of recruiting and that, you know, some machine will choose you for a job and that will be the end of it. And I think that, you know, there's certainly going to be a fine line there. But as as you and I were talking about earlier, it's going to be hard to replace 
the human element in the recruiting process. It's just, it's almost impossible because again, you, you, you're still going to be working with people and, and people have to judge, you know, who's the right fit and who isn't, but certainly a computer can take away some of the guesswork that we normally run into as human beings when trying to decide if a person's right for an organization. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's both both an ex- aspect of understanding what is right, so so understanding kind of what is actually relevant, uh, both in terms of you know the, this position that I'm hiring for. I mean, quite often we see, at least in our use cases, we see recruiters kind of hiring for positions they don't really have a specific domain knowledge for. Yeah, which makes it really make it makes it really hard to kind of evaluate the relevance of you know a candidate's ed- uh, educational background or, or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No worries. Uh, but I think I think it's both an aspect of you know identifying what is kind of drivers for performance, and on on the other side of that, you know, identifying okay, so how do I find these drivers of performance or drivers of fit in the data that is somehow you know sent to sent to you by by a person. Okay. Uh, and that and that that process I think will be highly automated okay. uh, going forward. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. So, um, well, to, to add fuel to the fire, I, I actually ran across, there was, a, there was a recent Huffington Post article that was uh, referred to you guys in there, and, and it was titled, Let the Machines Do the Learning by Gregoris Kalai. And he says the following, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, the true beauty of technology is that it truly allows us to do more with less. Rewriting the plan of the world and changing long-held paradigms, machines are not going to take over the world. They will just shake up every conceivable aspect of it. While (laughs) for the foreseeable future, deep learning machines will remain pattern recognition engines, the potential for them to learn and improve upon themselves is endless. I mean, just talk about, because again, I know that there, there is... Not so much fear of this whole area, but I just think there's just the unknown. But why don't you talk about just the natural um, growth of of AI or artificial intelligence and machine learning, especially as it pertains to recruiting and especially in the space. And the reason why I bring this up and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you is because in the design industry, when you think of the built environment, so engineers, architects, environmental consultants, planners, these, these, this industry, first of all, we're dealing with a very finite set of resources of, of people. And a lot of times our clients or anybody out there in the in the design industry, for that matter, have a hard time finding the quote unquote right people. And mm-hmm. and I just believe that a lot of what is, was talked about in this article, a lot of what you're doing is going to sift through that white noise and help people hyper focus on those that are most relevant for the types of roles and positions that need to be filled, especially in the design industry over the next five or 10 years or more. So, but I'd love to get your thoughts just on that in terms of just how this technology is changing and how artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to play that role, play a big part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, um, firstly, I think what we, what we see is that, uh, so, so there's a lot of buzzwords in this industry now. (laughs) Right. People talk about, you know, in this article, deep learning, you know, people talk about neural networks and artificial intelligence and, and 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 I think what's 
easy to forget when you read about you read all the about all these buzzwords and and people throw these terms around. I think what's easy to forget is where we're standing right now in terms of kind of capabilities right. uh, on technology and 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 at least we we as a company we're quite focused on kind of saying that you know it's like we are we're not we're not using AI and and I think I think the the kind of the core defin definition of what artificial intelligence actually is is probably you know, it's, it's a moving target. Right. Uh, you know, when when the machine beat uh, Cusper of the the chess player, uh, people talked about that as as you know some kind of artificial intelligence. And maybe today we talk more about that as you know a machine that was actually programmed to do that one really specific task. Right. And programmed based on you know looking at and reading thousands of, of, of other chess plays and by that understanding how you should move. And I, I think that also reflects a lot on the technologies that we see in play today. I mean, it, it's basically, you know, machine learning uh, models that is applied on a quite specific use case. Our use case is, okay, there is a, there's a job description and, and there's, a, there's a, some kind of information related to a profile. And the use case that our machine is being traced on specifically is, is understanding what is the relevance of that profile to this job. Okay. Uh, um, and, and you can train machines on those specific use cases as long as you kind of, you're able to kind of f feed them with a lot of historical data. So they understand, based on that data, they understand what, what kind of predict going forward what, what, what would be the right decision, basically. But, but going from there to kind of talking about, like, Today they call it general artificial intelligence. Yeah, talking, going to a system that actually kind of can learn on its own and, and be, you know become conscious. Mm -hmm. I think that's it's a long it's a long stretch. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's just important to remember that when when you know companies talk about AI, especially in production, it's typically is like advanced automation or machine learning. Uh, but but with advanced automation and machine learning, uh, you can do a lot of amazing stuff. I think. I think, um, and the limits are indefinite within that space as long as it's like a, a set kind of set use case, more or less. Right. Uh, I mean, what, what you're trying to, I mean, the, the basic aspect of, you know, machine learning is, you know, put, put people in front, of, in front of this machine and do that a lot of times and then tell the machine to try to learn based on what these people are doing right. and then start to re reproduce basically these decisions. And, and that is, you know, uh, in in a context of, of a specific thing that is extremely efficient obviously yeah uh, I, I think I think the, the main kind of the main intelligent aspect or the main intelligence aspect of of these machines so take again take our technology as an example uh, what, what we're building is, is what we call a knowledge graph or like um, it's got like a big like a big wiki, wiki of that tells us kind of uh, what's the association between entities relevant to a job, like relevant skills and, and relevant experience mm -hmm. and education. And what this uh, uh, ontology is able to do is it's able to learn based on new data. So as, as when there's a new profile going in, it, it looks at that profile and then it understands changes maybe the relevance of a, a specific skill to a specific profile. So so like containerized and, and that's, that's kind of that's that's intelligent because what the, what this graph becomes then is like a super recruiter basically with domain knowledge across all domains or most of domains. Right. Uh, 
on trying to kind of reproduce the way I would look at a profile if I'm hiring a new sales manager, for example. Okay. Uh, then I then I would go through my mind and say, okay, so what do I know based on my background and my kind of understanding of that position? What do I know know is relevant? And, and this knowledge graph, which which you often find in these these systems, this is 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 basically you know a has that contextual understanding just you know in a, in a hugely larger context than than any you know human mind can have. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, so I, th I think my, you know, I think what I'm saying is that um, there's a lot of stuff we can do with machine learning, and and there's a lot of stuff we can do with, with you know, advanced automation, but uh, to see kind of real uh, artificial intelligence in play within recruitment, I think uh, it's, we we have to wait a few years, right. and and we might never get there because again, as I said, it's it's a moving target. Yeah. 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 So because you know the engineers we have. They are their own biggest critics. Yeah. So, so, so for them to say that what we're building now or what we're do using now is, is actually AI, it's, it's, it's a stretch, I think. So right. we might never even get to that point. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Well, and, and, and again, I know that you guys have started this process by creating two specific APIs that I'm aware of, Marlowe and Goodwin. Um, do you, could you just, like, just quickly articulate how, I mean, these APIs kind of sit on top of an existing ATS or applicant tracking system, but how, how would, I mean, how would Marlowe potentially be applicable um, to the people that might be listening to this podcast in the sense yeah. of what would it do for them in their own ATS? Yeah, so, so if, if you're a recruiter, what Marlowe would do is, is as, as soon as you publish a new job, so you have a new vacancy, you publish that in, in your ATS, mm -hmm. and then kind of our machine would look at that job and, and basically kind of um, read what, what you've written and then add the information to that job based on what our knowledge graph or what, what our technology uh, finds and knows is, is actually relevant. So, so there might be, you know, an educational background that you haven't mentioned that we know is relevant and, and then we add that as kind of as, as a search query, if you may. Right. Uh, and then, you know, as the process goes, you maybe you source people or you get applicants to that job, and, and as soon as a profile goes into your pipeline, into your long list, uh, the API looks at that profile and basically scores that profile across three criteria. So, so it scores the skill relevance of, of that profile, and it scores the educational the relevance of the educational background, okay. and then it also scores or kind of boils down. All the all the elements of it related to experience, and say this is this is kind of the relevant experience that is this individual has related to the job. Right. So so in many aspects, is and that, that's both based on kind of the, the information that that the candidate has given you, yeah. uh, and also based on the information or the knowledge we have about that uh, about that candidate uh, from our ontology. So so he or she might have have worked as a sales manager. As an example, again, and 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 then and then we have a an understanding of what skills he or she should have acquired mm -hmm. during that position, and and a confidence related to those skills. So so we both kind of look at the data we get, and then we add information that well aims at at, at giving you a better grounds for kind of making a decision. Right. So, okay. what, so yeah. So what what you're getting is so so what we're aiming to do is is basically reducing, as I said, reducing the time you spend on deciding who you interview and who you actually interact with as, 
as a recruiter and 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 who you and who you don't interact with more or less. Yeah. So with with all of the 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 data points that that Marlow takes into consideration, is it able to overcome a really badly written job description? <laughs> you know, because it seems like it, it yeah, like it, it, it kind of covers some of that because you add some of your own to the process. But I'm just curious, can that do that? Yeah, I, th- I think I think one of the core challenges is that. And, and this is going to sound harsh, but I'm, I'm talking just as much to myself as, as to the listeners. And I think one of the core challenges is when I when I write a job description for a let's, let's say head of communications, as mm-hmm. an example. Yep. I'm not a job description expert. Right. Which, which means that, you know, and, and regardless how many job descriptions you've written, there are, there, it's really difficult to kind of pinpoint exactly what is the most relevant. Right. And then you have, you know, profiles, you know, candidates that is trying to kind of basically boil down a whole life of experience into, you know, one piece, either, you know, an application or, or a CV. And, 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 and these guys are not, you know, girls, they're not professional CV writers either. Yeah. Right, right. So I think just to answer your question, yes, we, I mean, we just based on the job description and, and some, some, you know, understanding of, of industry and company stuff. So based on, just based on the title, we're able to understand a lot about what you should be looking for. And, and that's also the course. So we're, we're basically trying to kind of take out all the fuss uh, and basically leave kind of the, 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 the key uh, information in and use that as a let's again, let's call it a search query, but as a grounds for for, for for scoring people. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, there's there's so much to learn in this area, and I think there's just there's still a lot of improvement that can be done on the HR slash recruiting side of things. I mean, people 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 change, and then they don't change at the same time. But you know, the technology is constantly changing. I think, which is the interesting piece of it. So. Yeah. yeah, but I think I think what is what is at least what we're seeing. I mean, we've been experimenting in this space since 2014, and I, I, I think I think and there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about you know recruiters uh, kind of fighting this change, and I, and I, at least our experience is, is quite it's quite the opposite. I feel like you know is that there's a huge interest in you know directly influencing mm-hmm. because if if you think about it, end of the day, our job and we spend a lot of time, you know, work shadowing, you know, learning how you think when you look at a CD, because end of the day, that's our job. Right. You know, right. We're, we're, our job is not to reinvent how you evaluate the CD. Our job is just to say, you know, you, you spend your time better at the more important tasks and, and the machine can read a lot more data a lot quicker. So, so, yeah. so the machine can do, do that task. And, and, and when, when we interact with these recruiters, uh, what we see is like a like a real you know uh, interest in, in being a part of and influencing uh, this this let's call it like te- technical or technological you know development in the industry and I, and I think that's that's really really cool to see because without that willingness to add you know tools yeah. to the toolbox it's it's really hard for yeah companies such as us to kind of to kind of uh, grow yeah okay so. And that, and that is, you know, I would say like over the last 12 months, I've seen a dramatic change in kind of the attitude and openness towards, you know, embracing new technologies. Um, obviously, it's, it's inevitable, but, yeah. but it's also really good that you kind of, that people see the potential. And that's also why I always kind of stress the fact that, you know, 
next time you know Harvey Nash asks you, uh, you, you, you won't be replaced by a machine completely right. <laughs> with, within <laughs> ten years. I think it's 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 it's, it's a way of making you know uh, making more of less as 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 you quoted from this this article, and that's that's the pure pure essence of technology. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, man, that, that's 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 extremely interesting stuff, and I. I um, I was looking forward to this interview because I just wanted to gain some more knowledge and insight. I mean, you keep hearing, I mean, people throw around the words artificial intelligence and machine learning, but then they don't back it up with, well, this is really what it is. And this is what it looks like today. And this is what we think it might be tomorrow, because I don't know that anyone really knows what it's going to look like. And I think that's part of the interesting aspect of, of the way things are changing from a technical standpoint. So, you know. Yeah. 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 I think, I think you're right. I think, I think the one the one thing the one thing we do know is that kind of the capabilities will will increase, uh, so we we can do more and more with technology. But I think I think you're I think it's important to be a bit like sober in terms of which terms you use, yeah, uh, and, and also a bit sober in terms of what what, what the capabilities actually are right now, yeah. Uh, um, because I think I think all this AI talk is is what creates kind of the fair. <laughs> Right, basically. right, right. And at least from my perspective, yeah. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get some more knowledge and not be so fearful. So, <laughs> so, well, well listen, um, Stade, I want to ask you a couple of last questions as we close out. We're doing something a little different here now on the the Zweigletter interview series. Uh, we want to go deeper for our audience and learn who the real Stade Husby is. And uh, we have a couple of simple questions that we'll end our interview with, and hopefully we'll have some fun in the process. Oh, you, need, you need more than a couple of questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, just it's just a few because, uh, you know, but I want to give folks an idea of who you are. But what was the last book that you read? Uh, the last book that I read, um, I think it was Predictable Irrationality. Oh, okay. Um, it's, um, it's, a behavior, it's a book on behavioral economics. Okay. Super interesting. It, it, it basically talks about you know us walking around feeling that you know all our choices is driven by you know a cognitive rational way of thinking uh-huh. but, but then it, it, it basically proves that it's not yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, a, it's a super interesting way of and also you know for, for you know building and building a business obviously kind of trying to understand what is the drivers for decision making and how do you influence influence uh, you know how do you listen to the market and and build products based on that, and, and what are the drivers of the market? I think, you know, understanding that there are a lot of irrational uh, and subconscious drivers for decision making, probably more than there are rational and, and conscious, is is it's quite interesting. So yeah, if you haven't read it, it's, uh, it's I'll uh, have it's, predictable rationality. Do you who's the, who's the yeah. author? It's uh, it's a guy called Dan Arley, I think R Arley Dan Arley or something. Okay, I'll look it up. I'll put that in the show notes for sure, so I can share that with everybody. So, uh, and we'll give Dan a shout out. Uh, where did you Where <laughs> did you go on your last vacation? So uh, I'm uh, I'm we're based in Copenhagen, but actually I'm actually from uh, a cold, uh, the town called Trondheim in Norway. Okay, quite north, quite uh, far north. Yeah. Um, and my last vacation, I went uh, with my two kids up and spent uh, a week in the mountains skiing wow. uh, on my ski cabin. Wow. Yeah, it was really nice. Oh, that's nice. So I, I, I guess since you're, you're from Norway, you've seen the Northern Lights. No, you know, you know, actually, this trip is funny you ask, yeah, because 
I've never, I've never been far, that far north, right. and, and typically doesn't, it doesn't get all the way down to, to where we, where, where I grew up. Yeah. But this New Year's Eve, uh, we were out again in the mountains. Yeah, and it's pitch, it's pitch dark uh, except from the snow lighting up, and 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 just as we were like firing up the fireworks, uh, up, we uh, I saw northern lights for for the first time in my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so it was it was really far south. I don't know, it's quite high and far north, right. but like for the northern light to get that far south is quite unique. Yeah. So, so that was my first time, and it was quite. Even though it was just like, you know, small, it was it was quite spectacular. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> that's exciting! That's exciting! So, last question I have is is um, if you could, and and I don't know what you decide to watch, but you know, here in the United States, everybody's hardcore into Netflix and things of that nature, yeah. but you, if you could binge watch one TV series, old or new, what would it be? That's a hard question, yeah? <laughs> so, binge watch. So, you know, I have this, I have this, uh, um, and I think you have to have, for to build, you know, to be a, to be a founder and to build companies, you, you need to have a kind of a, an addictive personality. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, I, and I do as well, so... So uh, watching series is like it's a hazardous sport for me because they're built for addictive personalities. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So let me think. What was the last uh, series I benched watched together with my wife? I think the, one of the few ones I've seen everything of is Dexter. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. You like I it? know Dexter. Yes, I do know Dexter. So I think no. I saw a season of Dexter, but it's a, it's, it is a really good show. It's yeah, a very it good show. So, yeah. We're we're trying to we're trying to stay away from this the really kind of uh, the really addictive series because uh, we don't we don't really have time. Yeah, I have two two small kids and uh, and a company to build and and, uh, and a wife to take care of. So. Absolutely, no, I, I I totally understand. I've got three kids, so it, it you know I have to be mindful of what I watch because I have an addictive personality as well. So yeah, I have to go. have to pick and choose my battles. Man, yeah. Stale, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us on uh, the Zweig Letter interview series. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. No, thank you. It's, uh, again, as I said, just the, the fact that people are interested in what we're doing and, and, and you know, so so the pleasure is, is, is all mine, definitely. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. No, that's great. And listen, folks, as a reminder, all Zweig Group media programs like this one are available both in podcast and video format, free for download on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube, just to name a few places. We'd like to thank you for watching this in, in video or listening to the podcast by offering you a free copy of the Zweig Letter and a free subscription. Yes, you heard it right. A free subscription to Civil Plus Structural Engineer Magazine. Just visit freetzl.zweiggroup.com. A link to all of this information, including contact information for Stade, um, will be in our show notes. So I certainly want to make sure you make yourself available to that. And we'd love it if you'd go to iTunes or wherever you tune into this show and give us a rating, preferably a five-star rating, uh, and share this link with a friend. Listen, I'm Randy Wilburn, and you've been listening to Zwei Group Media, part of Zwei Group. Remember, we exist to make you more successful. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to this special edition Zweig Letter podcast. We hope that you can apply Mark's no-holds-barred advice 
to your daily professional life. For a free six-week subscription of the Zweig Letter, please visit freetzl.zweiggroup.com to gain more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today. Thank you.